We're going to continue on this morning with our um, look into the book of Genesis. We started actually a few weeks ago, took a few week break here with Teen Challenge and Mother's Day. Um, But we began about five weeks ago looking into the book of Genesis. And I told you back then that we're going to kind of go just kind of section by section, thought by thought through the book of Genesis. And kind of in the beginning, we'll kind of take little smaller chunks. And then as we get into the later part of the book of Genesis, we look more at, at character sketches and kind of look at here a day looking at, at different people, you know, life of Abraham, things like that. And so we will uh, um, look at that as we go. Um, and um, the two weeks ago, or two, two times ago looking at Genesis, we began to look at the creation account, and we looked at how God created the heavens and the earth. He created all that there is, and we learned some things about God as we looked at that. We found that as we looked at God creating, we could find some things that were revealed about God's character, his nature, his abilities um, through the creation account. We found things like that he was supreme, that he was over everything, and therefore it makes him greater than everything. We learned about his, his wisdom and his power and his love. Well, today we're going to keep looking at, at creation, um, but we're going to turn our attention away from God today, and we're going to turn our attention upon us upon mankind. We usually like that when people talk about us, right? Right? Well, I see a couple of people being honest. Um, you're going to find some things about you, I think, that are interesting today, about, about humanity at least. And so we're going to take, looking at the Genesis creation account, we're going to look at mankind, and I think you're going to be quite amazed. Because as we look at this, remember we said Genesis is the book of Genesis, which means beginnings, and it's foundational, and it has really all the basics of our human race. The foundation is found in the book of Genesis. And you're going to find that as we look at the creation of man today, that we're going to see revealed to us in that um, some basic building blocks of our um, society and you're going to find that there's some, some things talked about and some foundations laid that are really um, incredibly um, important for us today. You're going to find that, that um, some of the topics we look at are kind of the buzz topics in the media today. That if you went and you, um, I don't know if your computer's like me and I forget what screen comes up, but when my screen comes up and I turn my computer on, on my right side I have these little news events that pop up and it scrolls through about 50 of them and, and I look at them and there's one on, I click on it and I see what's going on in that, in that news event. And um, you're going to look at Genesis as some of these issues are the ones that would scroll through your top news events. Things about, about evolution, things about abortion, things about um, environmentalism, things about um, heterosexual versus homosexual um, activities of humans. Those foundational things that would be big news, they'd be scrolling through my thing um, on, my, on my computer, those things are addressed in Genesis when it talks about the creation of man. And so what we're going to look at today isn't just something about talking about what God did back then, but we're going to find that what God did back then affects how we live right now. And uh, who thinks that if we live the way God intended, we'll be blessed? Amen? And that's what we're going to find out today. And so grab your Bible and open with me to the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible. We're going to read two sections this morning, starting in Genesis chapter 1. I was just at a, last week, um, or a week before, um, I was, did a master's class at, um, called King's College and Seminary out in Van Nuys, California. And 
with 35 other pastors, and we did, um, they said it was 60 hours a classroom in five days. Uh, it seemed like 160. We literally went from 7 in the morning till 9 at night, classroom all day long. And it was kind of funny because I'm with 35 other pastors doing this class, and the instructor told us to turn to one of the tiny little minor prophets. And it was hilarious because I always buy Bibles, and this one isn't this way because it's my preaching Bible, but I always buy one with the tabs built in. And there's a reason for that. The most embarrassing thing in the world is when you can't find a book of the Bible. And it was hilarious because he had us turn to one of these one or two page long minor prophets. I forget who it was. And everybody was panicked. And they're all pastors and nobody would look in the front of their Bible to figure out where it was. And they're all trying to figure out where it is. And fortunately, I looked down and I had a tabbed Bible. And I saw it and I flipped to it. And the guy next to me is like, I feel like an idiot. I can't find it. And I said, well, because he knows it's a minor prophet. And there's like 15 of them in a row and trying to find where it was. And uh, it was quite funny because I thought, I'm the only guy who has a panic attack every single time I'm in a group. And they say, turn to some obscure little book of the Bible that's two pages long that you haven't looked at in 17 years, and, uh, and they're going to next ask you to stand up and read it. And so, uh, so anyways, Genesis is easy to find, right? First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read two kind of um, lengthy sections here in Genesis 1. Starting in verse 24, first of all, let me explain what we have here. We're going to deal with the, with the creation of man. And the first section, chapter 1, we're going to look at kind of the generic creation. It's All of chapter 1 is talking about creating everything. The cosmos, the world, people, animals, everything. So it's kind of the broader view. And then Genesis 2, we're going to read a section, which is kind of narrow the focus, and it's going to be dealing with primarily just the creation of man. And so um, it's interesting, just right there, shows us um, that God took extra time to deal with the creation of man. That he added chapter 2 of Genesis, which gives additional information. He didn't do that about dogs. He did it about people. It says something to us. So chapter 1, starting in verse 24, it says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle, creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps in the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the living things that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be yours for food, and to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the sky, and to every, everything that moves on the earth which, I, which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now let's slide on over to chapter 2, starting in verse 15. I'm going to read down to verse 25. It says, Then the Lord, and kind of, this is a, a recap of what he's just said, um, a little expanded. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And Lord God commanded the man, saying, From every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. 
Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, Now this is bone, this is, this is of my bones, and my flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man." For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, a little side note. This morning, I was taking a shower, and Suzanne was in the bathroom, and I said, Hun, I'm preaching on Genesis today. Do you think if we showed up naked, we'd be ashamed? <laughs> and she said, you bet your bottom dollar we'd be ashamed. <laughs> I said, no one wants to look at us. But somehow it was different then, honey. Uh, they, they wouldn't be ashamed of you, but they'd be ashamed of me. So, so uh, that's what happened in my bathroom this morning. <laughs> so what are some of the things that we learn about mankind from the creation account? What are some of the things that we find about man? And really, I think we could camp in this section of Scripture for a month and talk about different things. And we may look at some other ones in the future. But just camp right here because there's so much revealed about us, uh, about mankind in the creation account found in these verses. But there's a couple of them that I want to talk about, three in particular I want to talk about. And, and the first one we're going to spend the most time on. And, um, and these are things that, that I think as, as we unpack them, you're going to see these are really important things, uh, not only for you know, thousands of years ago, but for today. And the first thing I want us to consider that we find in the creation account is we find that man was created in God's image. Look at chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the birds of the rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created men in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That God created us in his image. Now notice something before we get into this in a great deal of deep, detail. Especially notice this, us men. It says something about God creating man, man in his image. It says he created both men and women in his image. Verse 27, we just read, God created man in his own image. And sometimes men would say, hoorah, you know, man is in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, created, he created them. When he's talking about man being created in his image, he is talking about humanity being created in his image. God does not look like me, or you guys. That God is talking about his creating his image, he's talking about a lot of other stuff, but he's saying that man and woman together, humanity is made in the image of God. And you say, well, why would you point that out? Well, I point it out for this reason, and uh, you ladies 
Uh, you don't have to amen here. I don't want you to amen because men feel bad enough about things a lot of times. But Christianity over the years has been influenced um, with a male sexism. It really has. It, it has been very male about things. Matter of fact, from a lot of translations actually translate things with a very male bias at times. And right from the creation account, God says, I created humanity, men and women, in my image. And I think he's trying to communicate right from the start that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That there aren't second-rate people based on anything, including gender, in the kingdom of God. Now, there is created order, and we may talk about that at another time. But creation, mankind, is created male and female in his image. Now, this image that God has put within mankind has been tarnished and distorted due to sin. And in a week or two, we're going to talk about some of the ramifications of, of, of that, that. But for today, let's just remember that, that the image has been tarnished, yet there remains in mankind, even in our fallenness, there remains something of a likeness to God in humanity, in men and in women. And this is so important to grasp in our culture today, and I'll explain why. Notice this in the creation account we just read, that it is very clearly stated through the creation account that mankind is distinct from all of the rest of creation. That man, he said he created all this stuff, then he created animals, and then he created man. That mankind's creation and woman's creation is distinct from all of the rest of creation. And the reason it is, is because God created man different than everything else. He created mankind in his image. Look at how it points it out in verse 25 and 26. It says, God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and he created after their... Uh, and the, take my glasses off so I can read. And the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. And then if you use the same thinking, it's just like this. And then God said, let us make man in our image, or man after our kind, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish and the birds. So he's saying that he made the animals after their kind, and he makes man after, um, the, after his kind. That man... Um, that God made all creation, and then he creates man in his image. You say, well, why is that so important that it's distinct? Um, this is the reason why. Because man is not just a more fully evolved animal. That is an underlying belief that culture believes today. Regardless if we tie it to evolution or not, and people use those words, that our culture today believes that man is just a more fully evolved, more greater developed animal. And the reason that scripture starts off this way is saying, no, man is distinct from the rest of creation, that he is above the rest of creation, man is superior to the rest of the creation, that unlike the animals, mankind has a similarity to God upon us in us, ingrained within us. Friends, understand something. You are not a monkey's uncle. You did not evolve. And you know what? People want to say that you're just a monkey's uncle. You know, I've, Suzanne and I and the boys have been watching this great um, doc, video documentary recently called Life, I think is what it is. Oprah Winfrey is the one who, who narrates it. The most phenomenal nature photography you've ever seen in your life. It is just... But it's just stunning. 
But underlying the entire thing is this concept that we are just a more evolved, so they show the monkeys who have made tools and they're cracking nuts in some place in Africa and saying, and now look, in a couple thousand million years or whatever, they'll be driving cars. You know, it's not true. God, in the very genesis, the beginning, the genesis of recorded literature for mankind, makes a statement here saying, mankind is distinct and separate from the rest of all creation. Man did not evolve. Society wants you to believe that you have just evolved, you're just more advanced, coming out of some primordial soup, and that you're just um, a more evolved monkey, but that is wrong. You and I have been created in the image of God. We are unique and separate from the rest of creation from the very beginning in the creation account. And scripture makes a great deal of effort, takes a great deal of effort to show that the creation of man and the creation of animals is separate and distinct. Man has been made in his nature, in his person, in his personality, in his, in his moral standards, in his moral capacities, in his spiritual capacities, in his emotions, in his intellect, in his will, in his conscience. Man stands apart from the rest of creation. Mankind has the stamp of God on it. We are like God in ways that the rest of the creation is not. And we need to own that within ourselves because it'll change, we're going to see in a while, change a ton of the things, ways that we think about things in our world. And, you know, we have the stamp of God upon us that makes us different than animals. And I want to take a few moments today and I want to consider just some of the, the expressions of that that we see between us and animals. Because the world's always trying to do this. They're always trying to say we're just alike. The world's always trying to find some genetic co- connection between a monkey and a person, between a, you know, a dolphin and a person, trying to say somehow we're connected. Interestingly, if science is, on, uh, science is honest, they have never found any type of a connection, but they want to say it exists, and they keep thinking they're going to find it, but it's not there. And there are such ways that we are completely distinct from the animals that it takes, it, it's worth the time today to just think about some of the ways that we're different than animals. The first thing that comes to mind is this. That as humans, we have an ability to know right from wrong. We are different than animals because we can know right from wrong. You know what? I got I've talked about my dog before in church, right? Jake, Jake, my Cambodian rescued Springer Spaniel, he comes to the office once in a while. Jake's a great dog. I love Jake. He's a good puppy. You know what? I can train Jake. Jake knows how to sit, stay, lay, roll over. I go like this. He jumps up in my arms. Um, he's, a, he's a great dog. I did the other day. I walked up to one of the boys, and I'm thinking, I hit him on the chest. He thought I was calling him. He jumped on the kitchen counter because <laughs> he, he, he thought I was telling him to jump up, so he did it. So he could be trained. And you know how he was trained? He was trained through positive and negative reinforcement. Give him a treat when he does something wrong. Give him a swatter with him. Just scold him when he does something wrong. And I've been able to train him. But really, Jake does not possess the ability to distinguish right from wrong. You say, oh, no, no, no. My dog does. My dog knows. You see, when I walk in the house, and if Jake's been a naughty dog, he's chewed something he shouldn't. He went pee on the floor. He did something he wouldn't. When you come in the house, he hides. He's he, he goes usually by the sink and he, and he hides and he lays down and he rolls on his back right away, letting you know, he tattles on himself, that I did something wrong. I'm like, Jake, you're not very smart. If you did something wrong, don't tell anybody about it. But Jake comes in he, and he tattles on himself. And you say, well, see, he knows right from wrong. No, he doesn't know right from wrong. He simply knows that if I did what I was trained not to do, I'm going to be punished 
for it. I'm going to be scolded. I'm going to be swatted. Something negative is going to happen to me. So he begins to hide. He doesn't sit there the whole time after he piddled on the floor. He does not sit all day and say, oh no, I chose to go pee in the wrong place. And Mark's going to come home and he's going to see it. He's going to be mad and he's going to yell at me. He does not have the capacity to know right from wrong like that. But understand something, we do. Mankind is different. And in the creation account, in a little while it's going to talk about Adam and Eve sinning. The thing that God makes a point of showing in the creation account, or in the, in the, in the, the account of sin entering the world, is that Adam and Eve had a choice to do right or wrong. That they very clearly understood the difference. That right and wrong is a moral choice. And they chose to do what was wrong, even though they knew it was wrong. They chose to do it on purpose, that they understood the difference between right and wrong. Animals do not have that ability. They can be trained, but they cannot reason that way. A second thing that, that reveals to us the image of God and man, that makes us completely distinct from animals, is our ability to relate with God. You know what? You and I can talk with God, and God talks back. This week, um, Dick Fister and I took Wednesday afternoon and we, we drove up to, to um, Luke Kotecki's uh, father and grandmother's viewing, just a, the tragedy of a car accident that they both passed away this last week and we drove up to, to um, pay our respects to the funeral and, and so we had like six hours in the car together and I, I, wondered, I asked him, I said, are your ears bleeding yet? Because uh, we were talking so much. And uh, one of the things we talked about is God communicating with man. And, and he told of an event in his life, he said, where literally he felt God talked to him. He said, I heard the voice of God. And I said, Dick, you know what? There's been two times in my life where I literally, I don't know if anybody else would have heard it, but I believe I audibly heard God speak to me. Now, that doesn't happen every single day, but this I do know, that I have an ability to talk to God, and that times all of us, if we do, have had an experience where God somehow communicates back to us where we know that God is communicating. Matter of fact, some of you are maybe here today because you're thinking, is this God stuff real? And you said, maybe somebody said to you, well, come to my church, and you've come saying, you know, somehow I feel some pulling, some drawing, saying I need to get connected to God. You know what that is? That's the communication of God to you. Now, look around. Everybody look around for a second. Does anybody see a dog in the sanctuary? Are there any cats here? There might be a few mice, but we, they weren't invited. Your dog didn't get up this morning and say, I need to talk to God. Jake doesn't sit in the pew next to me and raise his little paws and worship. He'd have no idea. He has no concept of communicating with God and interacting with God, relating to God. But God has created us in such a way that we have an ability um, to commune with the creator of the universe. Friends, have you ever thought about the value of that? That you have an ability to talk with God, to feel God's presence? That's amazing. So we're different than creation. There's another way we're, we're different than creation. And this one is, is mind-boggling. That God um, has given us, as humans, creative genius. He's given us the ability to create things, to build things, to do things that are just mind-boggling. You just look at what mankind has done over the thousands of years of existence that we've been around, the, the pyramids we've built, the computers we've designed. Look at what we've designed and built and invented. Look at what we've figured out in science and technology. It's amazing what we've done. And friends, the only way we've been able to do that is because we are made in the image of God. 
the one who spoke the worlds with this creative genius into existence. He said one day, I'm going to make a world. Poof, there it was. That's creative genius. That's mind-boggling. That same spark of God has been put inside of man, and that creative genius allows us, like the one we've been created in his image, to create, to do things that are phenomenal. Animals can't do that. And you say, oh, yes, they can, Pastor Mark. Think of a beaver. A beaver can put him in the water. He's got some trees around. He'll take his big teeth, gnaw on a tree, knock over a tree, drag it out into the water, cut the limbs off, put that in his little house for food for the, for the winter, and build a dam. And you say, that's amazing. It is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And somehow it's an amazing thing. No matter where a beaver is, the beaver will do the same thing. Somehow God hardwired a beaver to be able to build a dam and build a hut and put his food inside the hut. That is amazing. But you know what a beaver can't do? A beaver can't do what you and I can do. And say, this would be a whole lot easier if I had a Husqvarna. This would be a whole lot easier if I had a chainsaw. And for that, you know what a Husqvarna is? Okay, that's a chainsaw or a still. Have a chainsaw, a home light. I've got a chainsaw and, and I'm going to cut these trees down because I can cut more trees down in 10 minutes with a chainsaw than I can with my little beaver teeth in a month of cutting trees down. A beaver can't do that. Just think of what it took to create that chainsaw. Some guy had to have the idea that he could drill a hole in the ground. We have a problem with this right now in our Gulf uh, by Louisiana. Drill a hole down into the ground, tap into oil, pump it up, and turn that crude oil into gasoline. Guy had to save one somewhere down the road. You know what? I'm going to create a machine. It's going to be called the internal combustion engine. I'm going to take that gasoline, and I'm going to put it into this machine, and I'm going to have a piston system inside of a cylinder, and we're going to squirt this crude oil that was turned into gas into a combustible material. We're going to spray it into this into the cylinder. We're going to compress it. We're going to create a spark. It's going to explode and it's going to push that piston down and it's going to be connected to a connecting rod and it's going to be getting up and down, up and down as it explodes. And it's going to turn the shaft and that shaft's going to go up the side of my little chainsaw. I'm going to put a sprocket on the end of it. I'm going to make a, t- a chain that's got beaver teeth on it. It's going to look kind of like beaver teeth. I'm going to put those on there out of metal, and you're going to fire this thing up. The internal combustion engine is going to go. The pistons are going to go up and down. The fires, the pistons, the spark plugs are going to spark. You're going to get this thing going. The gear's going to turn. The chain's going to turn. You're going to cut down trees. A beaver can't do that. They can gnaw on trees. That's pretty amazing. They can swim with branches. But they do not have the creative genius that mankind has. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. You say, what's the point of all this? There is an incredible point that we need to embrace today, and here's the point. Because of all of this, because of the fact that we are made in the image of God, understand something, church. People have great value. We have great value because we are created in the image of God. That's why Scripture says we're not to murder. You know why we're told in Scripture not to murder? Genesis 9, just a few chapters over from where you are, chapter 6, verse 6, says this. It says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by men his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. He says, you know why you shouldn't kill somebody? Because when you kill somebody, a person, you're killing someone created in the image of God. He says, you're in a sense almost, don't take this too far, killing God. Because man has been created in the image of God, and it's the apex of his creation. He says, you shall not murder because you're killing somebody that is created in the image of God. But the Bible takes it a whole lot further than that. 
Grab your Bibles and turn all the way to the other side, to the book of James, right after the book of Hebrews. The book of James. Not only does it say you shouldn't murder because you're made in the image of God, but look what it says about how we should communicate because of the image of God. James chapter 3, starting in verse 8. It says, No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, with our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men. Isn't that true? Oh, praise the Lord, you're so good. Walk out of church and say, Oh, that rotten, no good person didn't shake my hand. It happens. We bless our Lord the Father, and with it we curse men. Now, why does it say this is wrong? Who have been made in the likeness or the image of God? From the same mouth comes both blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. When, the, when James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says why you shouldn't curse another person, he says the reason you shouldn't do it is because they have been created in the image of God. Humanity is incredibly valuable. And friends, you need to understand something today. You are valuable. And as I prepared this message, I really felt in my spirit that some of you need to own that today. That some of you need to receive that. As a matter of fact, you just need to look at me right now. Some of you need to grasp the fact that God created you in His image and you are valuable. Because I really believe the Spirit of the Lord told me some of you think you're nothing. You're not nothing. Do something with me. Take your right hand and put it on your heart. Close your eyes with me. I want you to feel right now your beating heart. I want you to feel the fact that God created you. He put his heart within you. That he loves you. He cares for you. And he wants you right now to receive his touch that your hand would be like his hand upon your heart. That he would, you would know right now in your, in your seat that you're sitting in that the hand of God is upon you. He's upon your heart. And that God says you're valuable and he loves you and he cares about everything that goes on in your life. And that your touch today is like his touch upon your life. And you need to receive that today because he wants you to know that he loves you. Amen? Amen. I really believe the Spirit of the Lord wants somebody, somebody in this place to receive that today. That God knows you are valuable. Friends, because humanity is valuable, that's why we care about things. It's why we care about the hurting in Haiti. My dog Jake has not come to me with a mouthful of his food. Came up to me, set it in my lap, and says, send this to all the herding dogs in Haiti who are displaced because of earthquakes. But we took an offering. Why did you take money that you could have bought something else with and sent it to strangers in Haiti? It's because they're valuable. They're created in the image of God. It's why we care about the oppressed in Afghanistan. So we send missionaries to them to set them free from the lies and oppressions of Islam that hold them back, that, that torture their women, that, that hold them in bondage. We send people there. We send sacrifice of, of money and resources and people's lives to go there to say, we do this because you, those people are valuable. It's why we care about the terrorized in the inner city. 
It's why we care about the lonely lady who lives in the house next to us in our neighborhood, even though she's not related. Why do you think you see her and something happens inside of you? It's because the Holy Spirit is saying, I created that person in my image. We're created in the image of God. It's why we care about unborn children. It's why we stand and say abortion is wrong. We say it's wrong to kill unborn children. Why? Because that little tiny baby, can call, people call it a fetus, whatever it's a baby. That little tiny baby is even in its teeny little infancy, it's got to create the, the hand of God upon it. The other morning, I don't know why, I woke up dreaming and I was, I was dreaming about abortion. And I, was, it was, I don't even describe the dream, it was gruesome. And I was dreaming about it and I woke up and I was just sad. And I was in L.A. at the time in class. I was just saddened and, 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 and upset and distressed when I woke up. And as you would say, why? And we know why. It's because that little baby is valuable. That little baby is created in the image of God. Friends, these topics, helping hurting people, helping oppressed people, rescuing babies, these have their foundation in Genesis. These are more about theology than about sociology. We say, we, we kind of take these things and we put them off as the social gospel. We say, those are social issues. Let the government deal with them. But God starts the beginning of Genesis and says, people are valuable, and these things all stem out, rise out of that. These are not issues of sociology as much as they're issues of theology. What our understanding of God and what he's done. We're valuable because we're created in the image of God. Amen? Amen. I better get moving or we're never going to get out of here. Can I cover the next two in just a few minutes? We're going to go really fast, okay? Promise? Let's look at another thing real quickly. Two more things real quickly on how um, what we learn about mankind in creation. First one is we're made in the image of God. Second one is this. Mankind is created to rule over creation. Mankind is created to rule over creation. Chapter 1, verse 26. Again, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Friend, man is created in the image of God, right? And God is a what? He's a ruler. And being made in the image of God, the likeness of God, we therefore are rulers like our Father is a ruler. This world was created by God for mankind to rule. Now, that's been altered when man chose to sin. Um, but for now, let's understand this. That as rulers, minimum as rulers, we are given the responsibility to care for creation. Look at chapter 2, verse 15. It says, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to what? To cultivate it and to keep it. Hey, Dave, he's a farmer. To cultivate it and to keep it. We are to cultivate and keep God's creation. And I want to tell you something. We're to rule it. We're to manage creation. And this is something that I think many Christians fail to really understand. You see, in our role as masters over creation, and that's who we really are, we must not only utilize the resources of creation, but we must also responsibly tend and care for God's creation. And this is a balance that somehow in humanity seems very hard to, for, to be struck in the lives of people because either people want to rape 
the land and, and have little or no regard for creation and its resources and damage it and say, well, you know, every tree should be cut down and, you know, and every, every uh, inch of dirt should be exposed and dug up to be mined. And they go on that side or they go on the other side and they begin to actually worship creation. Understand something in our culture today, um, ultra-environmentalism is a religion. People are worshiping, no different than back thousands of years ago, they're worshiping the creation, the sun, they're worshiping the earth, they're worshiping creation instead of the creator. It places creation above humanity, and that's just wrong. We are to never worship the creation. We worship the creator. And friends, as part of our worship of our creator, we're to manage his resources. You know what, church? We should be green. Your kids all understand green, but we don't so well. We should be green. We should care about our environment. We should, pollution should bother us. It should make us want to do something about it. We should um, use creation's resources to meet our needs and then tend creation so that it is healthy for generations to come so that God's children can enjoy creation in the future. That's not so difficult balance to strike. We should understand that as Christians, um, we should strive for balance. So it's okay and it's proper to kill an animal for food and to cut down a tree to build a house. It's okay to do that. But it's also responsible to manage those resources well so that in the future there will be animals to eat and trees to cut down. That's not such a difficult balance, is it? We don't worship creation, but we understand that we must manage creation well. You say, what's so important about this? You know what's so important about this? If this church is going to reach that community, we need to start to understand that they worship creation, a lot of them. And we offend them, not that it's not from the gospel, the gospel is offensive, but we offend them before we ever get to talk to them through some of our speech that says that we don't care about creation. We, and they wouldn't call it creation, they would call it Mother Earth, they'd call it the environment, that they, that they care more about the environment than we do. There's no one who should care more about the environment than we do. Because God gave it to us and he said to us, manage it, take care of it, tend it, cultivate it, look, look over it. I put you in charge of it. We should not be here to, to, um, to destroy the creation. We should be here to tend it and make it better. Does that make sense? All right. So one more thing we need to talk about here. Did I go quick enough on point two? Okay, point three. Um, mankind, in, in this creation account, we see something else about mankind, that mankind um, is created as male and female. That God created two distinct sexes um, designed for physical and spiritual union. That God created, when he said, let us make man in our image, he said, let us make them male and female. He created them that way. And there's a number of reasons that God created mankind as male and female. In chapter 2, verse 18, it says, he made Eve for Adam to be a companion and a helper for Adam. And so those two distinct sexes, sexes complement one another and bring, by bringing them together, bring about a wholeness. And that's a whole sermon in itself. But there's another reason, the one I want us to think about this morning, um, that um, we need to understand why God created male and female, and it's simply this. God created male and female for reproduction. He said in chapter 1, verse 28, create Adam, create Eve, and they should, be, they should multiply and fill the earth. They should reproduce. 
He created male and female for reproduction. You say, what's the big deal? Creation itself, friends, the creation of man, is the most basic defense of the heterosexual lifestyle. The most basic defense of why human, humankind is designed to be heterosexual is creation itself. To fulfill the created purpose of reproduction, it takes a male and a female. Now, ladies in the, in the ultra, you know, um, feminist wing can say we don't need men anymore. But you know what? They still need the genetic um, makeup of men, the genetic component, and they can get it in other ways other than through the, the way we think of through heterosexual relationship. But the fact of the matter is um, our physical creation, the way God made us, is designed to fit together in heterosexual union. So creation stands in favor of heterosexuality, and creation stands opposed to homosexuality. Now, I know you say, well, that's just basic. That's not real deep, Pastor Mark. It might not be real deep, or it might not be real revolutionary, but it is the church's job to stand firm and to affirm what God intends for his creation. Just yesterday, I, I, had, I downloaded an article, my little thing that scrolls on the side. Articles, Associated Press, May 15th. Headline was this. The Episcopal Church ordains its second openly gay bishop. You know why we have to stand and just say not, there's no hate speech coming out here. There's no saying we hate people who think differently. There's nothing saying we're homophobic and we're going we're gonna to attack people, hate them, treat them differently. That's not it. But what we're saying is God has a created order and God intends for us to live in a certain way. And the Episcopal Church and many other organizations say openly not only that they um, uh, ordain this, this Episcopal um, bishop, but they ordain their first or second ever woman. And so it was a woman who's openly lesbian. If you listen to the radio in the last week, you know all the hot water that's going on at Marquette University right now because they offered a job to an openly lesbian uh, chair of a department and they withdrew it from her because of some of her writings or for whatever the reasons they are. Church, we have, a, we have a responsibility. I have a responsibility as your pastor to say I'm going to affirm and stand upon God's word that says God's plan is for one man and one woman to be brought together till death do us part. That God created us to be Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That that's what he did. That's how he created us. And we live in a culture where God's ways are disregarded. And maybe we can't change the culture around us, but this I know. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will do it God's way. Doesn't mean we're hateful, doesn't mean we're mean, but we say there is a right way. And we will be unashamed about saying there is a right way. And friends, we must teach our children, our young people, that creation itself stands against homosexuality regardless of what our culture says. Regardless, young people, if a little while ago the pop song sung by some female artist is I kissed the girl and liked it, and it's sung by a girl. We look at it and we laugh and we say, oh, isn't that kind of funny? It's not funny at all. It's not funny at all. It's, 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 it's eroding at the foundation of Genesis, where God said, I made them man and woman. I listen to my kids come home and talk about school, and they'll say, oh, yeah, that girl's bi. That guy's bi. That guy's homosexual. That girl's lesbian. And I'm thinking, this kind of conversation never even took place when I was in school. And now it's like commonplace. It's everywhere. Well, you know what? Again, maybe we can't change the culture around us, but we can still stand for truth. 
in the church world. Not hateful, not mean, not shunning, but we can still say this is right and some things are wrong. And moms and dads, you want to know what I think the best way to reinforce this to your kids is? It's not to hide them from the world because they're going to grow up and face it anyways. It's not to hide them from the realities that are out there. It's to have a solid, healthy marriage filled with affection and respect for one another. When our children grow up seeing a healthy mom and dad interacting, affectionate, loving one another, they say, that's what I want when I grow up. When a girl has a dad who shows affection towards her, she says, I love the affection of men, not in a weird way. It just sets them up to understand that, that I'm created a certain way and that my affections in certain ways are towards men, not towards women. The best way that a parent can raise their child is to have a great marriage for one another. Now, I used to believe something. I talked to Dick about this when we were driving. Because when I was preparing this message, I go back and I, I keep notes from, from 20 years ago in pastoring. And I do research. If I did 10 hours of research on this topic 15 years ago and I pull it out, I got 10 hours of work done already. So I can just go beyond that. And I looked and I, and I found a note that I obviously wrote before 2000. And I said in my note in something that I believe that this issue, homosexuality, will be the battleground for the 21st century. And I said, I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe that anymore. You know why I don't believe that anymore? I was wrong. Because I think the battle's pretty much over already. I really think in our culture, it's pretty much over already. Um, our culture has accepted corru corruption as correct. I really think we should just admit that. That's pretty much where we're at. So what do we do? We still love people. We still embrace them. We still lead them to Jesus. We still, we still love um, people regardless of what condition they're found in, whatever sin entanglements are involved in their lives. But we understand there's another line of demarcation here. There's another line of separation between what it means to be a child of God and not a child of God. And one of them is we stand upon the truth of God. And God's word says that I created them male and female for heterosexual union. That's what God's word says says in the subject. And you know what I've learned, friends? It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what does God say. And you know what's interesting? We can, we can look at some of this stuff and say, man, you sound like a white right-wing extremist today. And that's what I felt when I wrote this. I'm like, holy cow, I could, you know, I'm Rush Limbaugh this morning. You know? But this isn't political. This isn't political. This is theological. And these things are taken straight out of Scripture. And you know what? If, if we didn't address them, we'd be, rem we'd be remiss. That when God created man, he created us for certain ways and in certain ways. And these things that we're talking about, whether it's abortion or homosexuality or care for hurting people, and in, you know, whether it's in a, because of an earthquake or they live in our inner cities, these are all tied to theology of creation. That we have value because we're created in the image of God. That we are to manage his creation well. We're not to worship it. We're not some ultra-environmentalist worshiping creation. But we're supposed to be green. We're supposed to care, you know, and that, that God designed us to be male and female in union together. That these, are, these might be buzz news topics of the day, but God said, no, they're foundational principles of, from the very beginning. And maybe the reason they're buzz topics today is because the enemy wants to erode the very foundation of what is good and right. And so, friends, as for me and my house, we choose to serve the Lord. We choose to go God's way. Amen? Let's stand together this morning.